0: Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And today we're coming at you with another episode of the podcast. However, we're going to mix things up a little bit. Recently, we've done a, a number of sort of specific videos regarding uh one game system or another just because of the nature of what's coming out or what the releases are and what everybody's talking about however for us when we can we like to sort of peel back a little bit just kind of zoom out and talk about one uh both game systems at one time get a little game agnostic if you will and uh we really thought that we'd do that with this episode while also kind of stir in the pot a little um, because John just likes to rock the boat.
1: Yep, I don't like any sort of structure. <laughs> so, who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so, this episode, we're going to talk about a topic that uh, hopefully doesn't get people too heated because, uh, man, in forums and stuff, there are some strong opinions on this one. And I'm going to be honest, I probably
1: don't agree with you on a lot of them.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, In particular, we're going to talk about how grimdark new Warhammer is compared to old Warhammer. You hear it all the time about how things aren't dark enough. Well, is that true? Or how much so? Figured we'd talk about it. But um, as a
1: clarification of this episode if you disagree uh that's fine totally okay you can have your own opinion yeah if you if you think that we're idiots for expressing our opinion that's also fine uh you can go ahead and dislike the video or whatever um still engagement it's great <laughs> i'll take it i'll take it yeah um if you want to talk about it that's also cool but we're uh these are our opinions and uh by the nature of it being a setting and stories they're gonna have different feelings about it it's kind of subjective in general
0: anyways such is the Uh, nature of art but first yeah speaking of art hobby progress (laughs) well john before we get into the the darkness of it all uh what have you been up to playing games you doing any hobbying?
1: I have not played any games. That's a lie. I played a little bit of tabletop simulator with Tanner because we're gonna, he wants a refresher before we get into Age of Sigmar three territory. Mm-hmm. But hobby wise, I've not painted. I've not built anything. But I have been trying to not be such an edgy boy.
0: Um, <laughs> How's that going? <laughs>
1: well, uh, so I'm going to be painting Stormcast Eternals and starting Stormcast Eternals for third edition of Age of Sigmar, and I'm going to try to make them not dark, not mean boys, so I'm going to try to not paint so many skulls, or leather, or black armor, or blood red armor, so I'm really... John, that's your entire
0: steez
1: right there. Yeah, like I I normally paint like Skaven, Beasts of Chaos, uh, World Eaters, Black Legion... Even my Space Marine chapter is like a dingy kind of blue and orange, and I'm trying to not do that. Like, I'm trying to make a brighter model series, especially uh, Ynestra the angel, like, mm-hmm. my angel. She's, she's great. She fights Big Monster, and I, too, want to fight Big Monster.
0: So... It's a noble calling. Yeah. What about you, though? What have you been doing? Oh, Lord. I've been painting heavy boys... And more heavy boys. <laughs>
1: um, Talk about them I think fat, fat lads, lads with the chicken nuggets.
0: I have. I have. Um, and for a lot of people out there who've been listening for a while, you know that this is uh, an army that I, I bought quite a while back. And I sort of set it on the back burner. Uh, kind of waiting for a time to either sell it or to, to pull it out of the closet, dust it off, and finish it out if uh, the inspiration struck me. And with 3rd edition on the way um i gotta say it looks like that army which kind of had some problems before might have a little more gas in the tank um and it has spurned me to kind of finish them up because they're already uh, partially painted uh in a uh one of what i would call my first own recipes like i didn't get the colors from anybody it was all out of my brain and uh I kind of did the base coats for the fur on like the mounts and then just stopped. So over the past week, I, I pulled them out, literally had to dust them off, which is probably a bad sign. Um, and then I started pushing them further. I've got, uh, well, I don't know what I would call it. Cause it's, I got the big thing, the one that could be a, a stone horn or a, thunder tusk. The Yeah. Or a thunder Tusk, 'cause Cause I magnetized it. And, uh, I have done, like, all the horns on those, plus also for Mornfang, done, like, all the horns and the bones and the teeth and the hooves um, and, like, the ropes and the leather and the straps and all of that. I mean, to be honest, the, the mounts are almost good to, like, entirely good to go. I got to start painting up the riders, though. I, I love the mounts. I've been slacking on the writers.
1: I can't wait to see how you base these. Um also, this is the first time I'm saying this. I'm challenging Joe on the podcast to have to base all of his Beast Claw Raiders. So. You bastard. Yeah. How
0: dare you? <laughs> you can feel Ugh. free
1: to to challenge me with basing if you want. That's fine.
0: Oh, Oh, I'ma ponder this. You will rue this day. You're not allowed to say Skaven. That's
1: the one rule. Uh,
0: Nope, nope, nope. You didn't say that. Uh. You didn't say that till now. That was said after the fact. It's too late. It has been sealed. (laughs) It has been sealed. You got
1: to base what like eight models? And you're gonna tell me I gotta (laughs) base like two hundred.
0: Yeah, and then I'm gonna tell you you have to like lava base two hundred and eighty rats. Um actually I do have an idea for how I'm going to base these dudes though. Um, I think I'm going to go with sort of like a rocky mountainous sort of terrain feature. Um, a lot of the Beast Claw Raiders out there are like really ice themed. And it's not that I dislike those. Those definitely look really cool. However, I don't know. I want to do something a little different. And uh, as I, I, when I posted pictures to Instagram, I kind of explained the inspirations, but i'm uh obviously given my education in organismal biology i love critters of all sorts of types you and know. Uh, i know who'd have thunked it but i was looking at sort of like white-tailed deer timber wolves mexican red wolves american bison razorback boars and uh sort of in my head the color scheme came together Through those animals like it's kind of like a a hodgepodge of a lot of their traits so i want to kind of have a hodgepodge of their environment as well so i maybe sort of like a a rocky hilly region i think would be cool and i actually have some geeks gaming basing material that i think will work really well i just have to add some bigger rocks for the monsters to stand on but i think i could do that with like some cork if i hide it well enough or just go get some actual rocks from out in the woods uh, the scale might be off, but we'll see. Um, so I I actually have a plan for those. And also I kickstarted an ogre STL file Kickstarter. Uh, it's, you know, for people out there who aren't sort of up on the times, uh, there are Kickstarters out right now all over the place and Patreons where like for a certain amount of money, you get a big old bundle of, uh, files for 3D printing. And, uh, I backed a... A Kickstarter that has a ton of 3D prints for ogres that look better than uh, the GW ogres. Because they just, they don't look the same as the Beast Claw Raiders and it causes weird problems in my head. However, part of that Kickstarter reached a stretch goal. So they actually gave us like pre, not based bases, but sort of like pre textured bases with like rocks and stuff, which will help. So all I have to do is paint those. Um, I won't have to, like, make them Rocky. They will just print Rocky. And uh, that means I'll just have to, like, go real hard on the big guys. So I'll have to get to work on that. Yeah. I'm actually pretty excited. And also, uh, my giant carrying case from BattleFoam got here with, like, the slide-out magnet trays. It took a little over a month, like a month and a half to get here. But it finally got here, and I built that giant mofo. And whoo, buddy it's a lot of storage (laughs) i uh i am tournament ready with something this size uh yeah i need to get myself one of those especially if
1: i plan on taking like the stormcast eternals on the road i don't think i'd ever play scaven
0: in a tournament I, i say that but i will probably do it at some point you just need care. You need a pl- way to get them there. If we were flying, it would be rough. But if we were in a car, it probably wouldn't be as bad. And realistically, if we start going to events, we're probably going to go to ones we can drive to. Yeah, I don't mind going to an event that is, you know, Midwest far. Um, and for people outside the U.S., I'll. The joke is that us folks from the Midwest, kind of like the interior of the country, will look at something and go, "Oh hell, that's only a eleven hour drive. That ain't bad." Uh, because we apparently hate flying. I don't know what that is in our DNA, but we just do. And we will drive all over. Um, so yeah, I think if there's an event that's within like Midwest dr- far distance, I wouldn't mind driving to it. We could always trade off halfway there for the driving. Yeah,
1: I am. I am and willing uh, to drive anywhere under 17 hours.
0: Yeah, we can always get a hotel on the way. I'll but sleep if in the you car. Gonna... I don't. I, I will just save the money while sleeping <laughs> in a car.
1: I, I, it'll feel great. Road trip time. Be, it's Bondi. We'll be experience. 17 again. Yeah, yeah. What a time. Yeah we'll, yeah, we'll be 17 again. Wonderful. Thanks. Thanks for that one, Joe. Cool.
0: Love that. <laughs> uh, somewhere, my wife is going to be listening to this, and she just paused the podcast to yell at me. Uh, so I hope everyone enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, uh, it. It has been a hobby time this week. I don't know. Uh, As we mentioned, uh, John and Corwin came over. We played some AOS. It wasn't even third edition. It was second edition. And we just had so much fun being able to like hang out again. And uh, it definitely fueled up my hobby boat. Like I got some gas in this tank. So I've been trying to use it. And uh, ogres are a quick way to get a fully painted army because a 1K list is six models. Which is, boy howdy. And that's the kind of level I'm talking about. And after painting, like, 80 goblins, six models sounds great. <laughs> I love six.
1: Play Giants, and then you only need to bring four for a 2,000-point game.
0: Oh, don't tempt me. I already have an idea for Giants, but we'll talk about that in another time. I need a bigger 3D printer for that idea to work. One day. But yeah, for now, I'm uh, I'm interested. And also, as John mentioned, Dominion came in. I picked it up yesterday. Um, I, uh, for now I'm going to take the cruel boys, but I am not going to start building or painting them yet. Cause I'm not sure I'm sold on the army. Uh, they have shown us these models in dominion and that's cool, but I kind of want to know what else is behind the curtain before I like fully commit to play an army. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm not going to hobby those just yet, but those might also be on my hobby table in the near future, depending on what gets revealed. <laughs> And depending on if he decides he wants to go with them or not uh, I might start them I might not We'll find out I have a problem We'll, <laughs> we'll see what You just can't help yourself um, Yeah, but I guess we'll find out In the very near future What our ADD brains are up to But first Let's talk about the Grim And the Dark Well, if we're going to talk about how grimdark new Warhammer is compared to old Warhammer John, I guess we kind of got to start at the bottom and address the elephant in the room. What the hell's a grimdark? Because uh, you hear it said a whole lot, and uh, definitions are not forthcoming.
1: I thought you said, What's a grimdank? And I was like, That's a message board on Reddit with a lot of meats. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Similar to the Everdank, which is what the Gloom Spike Gits are striving to cause. Uh, same, though. Uh, <laughs>
1: <the> <laughs> no, uh, Grimdark is a term that was coined in the 90s um, because of Warhammer. Uh, Warhammer 40k and Warhammer Fantasy are both dark in nature, they're diff- darker than their mega. Genres. So, Forty K is sci-fi. Warhammer fantasy battles was fantasy, and both of them are just take that those settings and take them down the darkest route possible. Mm-hmm. Incredibly dark. Everything at the end of the the end of the story is always bad. There is no never victory. It's always going to be bad. The world will end in blood, fire, and sweat. Um, but. The premise was that you build stories within that knowing the ending is bad. There's never a good ending, but the individual stories can have good endings. Individual characters can see some growth within that. And it's just kind of evolved over time. Other games have adopted it. Um, These games have spawned other games, have spawned other media, have spawned all sorts of other things. And though, it, I, in my opinion, was darker in the 90s and early 2000s than it is now, has had to change by nature of not just the world we live in, but as settings that they use to sell plastic figurines.
0: Yeah, because I mean, at the end of the day, this is a business where all of the stories that they ever make up are trying to sell books and minis, right? Like, that is that is the goal at the end of the day. And to do that, you have to have stories where new, like new characters or new units or new troops or new vehicles or whatever are introduced that you can use for new kits. Um, You know that's just a thing that's going to happen. Uh, And I don't know. For me, I think the the kind of epitome of what Grimdark is was actually said by Dan Abnett. Uh, He did an interview with Ars Technica that I listened to recently, and of course, Dan Abnett, incredible author for Black Library, maybe one of their best, um, certainly one of my favorites. And uh, he is kind of the, one of the masterminds of the setting as a whole. And as he put it, uh, Grimdark is a place in which the idea of hope with like, you know, in the grand scheme, capital H, hope, doesn't exist. It can't exist. There There is no universe and no, possible outcome where everything here resolves peacefully and everyone's happy that's not possible however hope with small h you know in the short term in the individual definitely exists and has to for the story to be interesting so like while the imperium may never make peace with like the eldar and the tau and the dark eldar and the orcs and the tyranids and everybody sing Kumbaya, Whatever character you're reading about in the novel may survive the next day. They may win the battle that they're a part of. They may accomplish their goal in the short term. Uh, However, in the grand scheme of things, their wonderful, heroic, tragic efforts may be for naught. And uh, that juxtaposition is kind of wherein Grimdark lies. And there is a balancing line to walk there. You know, if if you have no victory at all, it becomes, well, one, it becomes really friggin' boring. But second, it becomes very uh, self-flagellating very fast. And uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, if if everything's a little too hunky-dory and there's, like, it's just victory after victory after victory after victory, the sort of, the sense of scale and the sense of threat leaves very quickly and it takes a lot of the tension out of the setting. Um And I think that's one of the things that has kind of allowed Grimdark to flourish is James Games Workshop's general ability to kind of walk that fine line really well. (laughs) James Workshop loves him a dark story. (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) No, I agree. And in addition to that, one of the benefits of having such a dark, dark setting uh, and this is something that both me and Joe have talked about at length. We've written stories together about this is having a dark setting allows to have like a shining bright beacon appear even brighter than it would in other settings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like characters like uh, Faramir from Lord of the Rings, right? Mm-hmm. Great character is kind of overshadowed by some of the other characters, despite the fact that what he's doing is still heroic. But if you take that same character and throw him in Warhammer fantasy, he becomes a massive hero. Oh yeah,
0: he's incredible. Um, and I think we've seen that a number of times uh, with a number of heroes. I mean, let's just, for example, take Gaunt's Ghost really quick, maybe one of the most popular Warhammer novels ever written. Colonel Commissar Ibram Gaunt in this setting shines as a light on the hill. Simply because he cares about his troops, he wants them to survive, he cares for their well-being, he doesn't want to see and them all slaughtered. Them the yeah, he doesn't kill them for no reason. And if he can, if he has his say, he's going to get them home come hell or high water. Um, and in a setting this dark, that character is very unique. There's not a lot of other characters like him just because of the world that he's in. Uh, Everything is so shitty and this, you know, cavern that we're in is so oppressively dark that Ibram Gaunt being just a a small candle of good absolutely illuminates things around him. Um, And I think it makes... For an interesting setting to tell these stories in. And that's part of why this game has flourished. And why some of their individual characters have stood the test of time. Whether that be Ibram Gaunt. Whether that be uh, Commissar Yarek. Whether that be Gautrek. Whether that be Felix. Uh, These characters stood out uh, compared to their backdrop. And that allowed them to gain some popularity and interest. And kind of keep things rolling. And especially in, in the
1: world we're living in, in 2021, uh, we, we've we been going through a pandemic. We've been going through some very dark things. Like, the, we're, in a lot of ways, we make jokes, Joe and I, that we live in the darkest timeline. Um, and it's mostly a joke, but it's also, there's some dark stuff going on. There's some bad stuff. And to be reading about a world or a setting that is arguably darker <laughs> Actually, not, not arguably, arguable. it is varies darker.
0: We aren't, at least currently, we aren't sacrificing ten thousand psychers a day to keep a, a shriveled husk kinda alive. I, although I you say that, that yet, because uh, I mean, who knows what the headline will be tomorrow morning?
1: Yeah, and when you have that, and. The characters you're seeing as, air quotes, heroes, still exist in self-proclaimed in 40K, the cruelest, bloodiest regime in human history.
0: And it um, is. It, it, it is. is.
1: It has a different flavor to it, It especially when you those characters do things that are opposite from the rules set by that fascist regime. Um, I think a good example is a Warhammer crime novel, uh, No Good Men. It's an anthology, and the characters in there have drastically different viewpoints than what the Imperium as a whole would lead you to believe these people should. And that's interesting, uh, because it shows that there's a certain level of humanity that never goes away, even in the cruelest, bloodiest regime in human history.
0: Which, in a weird way, is just a little uplifting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's also nice to read about something worse than our current lives, but is completely fabricated and isn't actually hurting anyone. Although
0: sometimes there are parallels that hit me a little too hard, which we'll talk about when we get to Age of Sigmar, because I recently had myself a moment. Um, But I think it is part of what makes Grimdark interesting, is that it can be cathartic if done correctly. And some of the books and some of the storylines have done so very well, which has kind of added to their popularity. However, there is this ongoing debate that I suspect will continue to be ongoing and will be still going when I'm in a nursing home in about 50 years. Um, Is the stuff that's currently out as grimdark as the stuff that came before? Is it dark enough? Is it edgy enough? Um, And it never goes away. Just doesn't. No matter what kind of forum you're into there's gonna be somebody comparing like Horus Heresy to new 40k there's gonna be someone comparing Warhammer fantasy battles to Age Sigmar in the lore um so we want to kind of deep dive on both of those individually to talk about some of the differences and why these discussions keep happening and to also maybe weigh in on them a little bit for what we think about the particular topics. So I guess we'll start with the one that John probably knows the most about between the two of us. And that's 40 K. Um, 40 K is kind of hard to talk about because it's been going for so long, especially since it's rogue trader days that like, there's a mountain of lore to talk about when it comes to old 40 K. Um, and some of it's just retconned. An incredible amount of it has just been written over. Yeah. Yeah. It may not even be wrong to say most of it has been written over, because, like, the Rogue Trader days were so wacky. Um, Well, it has, but hasn't.
1: That's the weird thing about 40k, and that is that the setting itself has an unreliable narrator. It does,
0: which I kind of like.
1: Like, theoretically, all of this could have happened. <laughs> but also none of it. Uh it could also be weird. Like there there are aspects of the canon that say stuff that happens in Rogue Trader, well, that was actually Age of Strife stuff. That wasn't that wasn't like after the Great Crusade. And it wasn't until recently with the horse hairs that they started making things a little bit more concrete and the Aaron Dominus stuff, which is a little bit more concrete. But it's still kind of all like weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even in the current setting with Era Indomitus, there's thousands of years of leeway for timeline because the Imperium can't tell time.
0: <laughs> no, they just, they aren't reliable. <laughs> even their smartest scribes are not reliable, which gives the, the yep. setting a, a little bit of wiggle room. And also sometimes literally the narrators that we're reading these books through aren't mentally sound. Uh, For example, the Primark book with Conrad Kurz as the narrator. uh, It's hard to tell what he's hallucinating and what he's not. It's, It's hard to say a whole lot with certainty. But I think, generally speaking, there are some through lines that you can look at. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I think that
1: there are foundational structure, like framework skeleton to all of 40k and some of those things are still the same thing that they have been throughout the imperium is a bloody terrible regime it signifies the worst parts of humanity that, that's just me saying that dan abnett said it in that interview too uh, oh yeah it's a
0: hellish place
1: <laughs> yeah um there are great sacrifices made every day to just live another day there are people who just live and die suffering um Those things all still exist. The difference now is that. On top of that. There's a fighting chance for some of these people. Like in older lore. Particularly the space marines. Space marines were incredibly rare. Um, They were incredibly powerful. But incredibly rare. With the invention of primary space marines. They're more common. Still not common enough. But they're more powerful. And there are more of them. So what did did the imperium all of a sudden stop being more heroes like hero like stop being more dark
0: no definitely not not at all i mean it did pull it some chapters back from the brink um i will say that was a thing in the old lore that like some of the space marine chapters were like about to die out cuz they only had a a handful of marines left but with primaris but they've been a, reinforced
1: but there was a balance there mm-hmm. because when that happened the Cadian Gate gets shattered, and the Sedictrix Maledictum is all over. Like, the galaxy. Cuts the galaxy in half. Mm-hmm. Half the galaxy is separated from the other half of the galaxy. Um, and as we've seen through some other books, the, there's a there's a coup that happens on Terra by the High Lords of Terra against Gilead. the
0: northern half of the Sedictrix Maledictum that is cut off from the light of the Astronomicon, uh, they're having trouble just navigating, and it's the Wild West up there. It's, uh, it's bad. Bad place to be. So even if there are more space marines, they lack the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Logistics. Yeah, they lack (laughs) the logistics to actually go to war effectively, and they also lack sort of the operational intelligence of what's going on. Um, So it's not like you are taking all of your new primaris and you are making lightning strikes at the most important deadly targets. I, you're you're probably just making attacks on whatever the hell you can find that needs to be purged. But that may not yeah. be the actual most important target in the system, but you just don't know any better. And so I think that it's my
1: theory that people got get upset because they go, this setting isn't as dark as it used to be. It's still just as dark and in some ways darker. But it is dark in the sense of hero dark than it is overwhelmingly like passive dark. Like, the, the setting stopped focusing too much on the suffering of the individual, the suffering of, like, the system, and, like, how the administratum is so incompetent, and it's, like, that's so bad, and, and all this and that. Like, they've kept that, where the administratum and the High Lords and the Inquisition are the things kind of holding humanity back, and Space Marines and Gilliman are starting to, like, make a better world, but they can't do it by themselves, because despite being demigods, essentially... They just cannot be everywhere. They're vastly outnumbered. And they're dealing with existential threats again. um, A lot of the old 40K stuff was the existential threats existed, but they came out rarely. Most of the time it was orcs fighting humans or cults rising up and like humanity eating itself and aliens and stuff like that is instead setting is all about existential chaos will kill all of us. Tyrannids will kill all of orcs. us. The Eldar are cool with letting us die to fund, like to fuel the, the survival of their race. The dark Eldar want to turn us into slaves. The orcs don't understand anything but violence.
0: <laughs> they are still just as big as they were before. Uh, they're just around. <laughs> um So there's a whole lot that could just snuff out humanity's candle, and now the galaxy is split in half and is having trouble even communicating. Um, Whole planets, whole sectors have been pulled into the warp in an instant, creating warp planets where who knows what is going on and who knows what creations are being made that will eventually tear into real space and do horrid things. Um, Well, it's like uh, something I found
1: out this week, and I didn't know because I didn't I didn't read the Ritual of the Damned Psychic Awakening mm-hmm. book. just wasn't a thing for me. Um, as part of that book, you find out that Magnus has returned to the galaxy, back to where Prospero is, and has brought his demon planet of sorcerers with him to take Prospero back and is forming a system of uh, sorcerers in which he has now tr- created a safe haven for Psykers being hunted by the Inquisition to have somewhere to go. And he's t- exploiting them and taking advantage of them to bring them into his fold. Because they're running away from the Inquisition to empower like sorcerers and chaos and Zeech. And creating like a, a sorceress empire within real space. And that's crazy. But also amazing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. And I think, you know, all of that said, the setting as a whole is still really dark. And to go back to Dan Abnett's quote, there is no capital H hope around. There's still none. There's no path forward where all of those existential threats are just handled. Like that's, that's not on the table. It's still not. There's just more stories with small H hope where the individual characters are winning battles um and i think for some people the they don't want small h hope they you know they want losses they just want to see loss after loss after loss after loss after loss after loss after loss and to them i would ask how do you write a story that way how do you write a trilogy that way um you know that's like trying to write game of thrones but instead of killing off one main character you behead all of them and then try to write a sequel about those same characters. Like, they're dead now. I don't know what you want from me. Uh, there has to be some, some way to move forward and accomplish small goals. Uh, and I don't think and that makes the setting less dark. I think it just makes it more effective for telling stories. And I think a lot of this perception about
1: modern 40K being not dark enough is GW's own fault. Uh, And we'll we'll get into this when we talk about Age of Sigmar, but GW is very good about writing individual novels for 40k. they are very bad about writing the continuation and overall story of that setting Mm -hmm. in 8th edition and 9th edition. They're just really bad at it. They're really good at individual stories, but bad at painting the picture for the whole thing in an interesting way that doesn't make it seem like they're selling. Yeah,
0: we'll get to that in Age of Sigmar for for sure. Yeah.
1: And I think they need to adopt some of the stuff they've taken from Age of Sigmar into 40k to really ex- to show, yes, the setting's just as dark, but we also added some really rad elements, like I don't know, a system of planets ran by wizards, um, <laughs> in a way that is not a one-off thing you read in a psychic awakening book that you didn't really understand. Like if you, t- like I'll just use psychic awakening as the example. There's very few things that actually happened in those books, but there's also lots of stuff that happened in those books. Like, there's individual stories and massive things with massive implications for the entire setting that happened, but they are not set up in a constructed way in the way that they did with uh, the Broken Realms books, with Teclis and Marathi and, like, all of this that created a cohesive narrative to explain what is happening overall in the setting. Mm -hmm. In Psychic Awakening, it did it tried to, but didn't weave, weave a web. It just kind of put a bunch of gas station truck stops on a highway and didn't make everyone stop at each of those to understand the story. They stopped at one of them because that was for their faction, and they didn't have any impetus to read the other ones. <laughs> like, they weren't connected. And that's a problem. Like that's a genuine problem for getting people to understand the setting that you're trying to sell books and models in.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think it has given the idea that they are going easier on the setting when they may not be individually, but as a whole, it just doesn't translate. Um, and I I really hope that changes in the future because uh, I, I don't know. I do not feel that this is getting less grimdark. It's just...
1: I... Have hope because uh, this is being recorded before the new Godblight book comes out, the third book in the Dark Imperium series. I think that's going to have massive ramifications. I hope that this doesn't come out and that I was wrong. Uh, <laughs> I guess
0: we'll see it a week or two.
1: Yeah, and I'm hoping that as the rest of Ninth Edition's like supplementary material comes out after Codex have been released, um, and some of them are being released next to Codexes, um, that it shows us a change in the setting and how they want to do things. Mm-hmm. Better than Vigilus did. Just leave that there. I have a lot of complaints about Vigilus, but
0: as do I. But I couldn't tell you anything that just happened talk there about it because for two hours. well, it wasn't interesting. Um but I think as you mentioned, a lot of that also applies to Age of Sigmar. Um which I think we should probably talk about next because it's really gonna make sense what we're trying to say here much like 40k age of sigmar is inconsistent uh that is like the the best word i can use to describe how grim dark new age of sigmar is and i guess i'll kind of break that down just a little bit so for people who play age of sigmar if you are reading your individual battle tomes and the lore within each one oh my lord it's rough it's Dark. It's really dark, some of which even look happy. They look fun and cartoony, and then you read what's happening, and it's horrifying. Uh, you know, I play Gloob Spike Gets. It looks very colorful and bubbly with these smiling goblins until you read why they're smiling and what these units are. You know, why they have these mushrooms that they're smiling because they've been giving these... Toxins, for lack of a better word, that are causing their bodies to eat themselves from the inside out while making them really powerful for just a few minutes before they die in agony, causing like fungus to explode in their lungs and suffocate them. Or like the fungus that grows out of bodies, that uh, one of the characters will find humans who are kind of brilliant and intelligent. And he will cover them in this fungus so that their body roots to the ground in his cave and he can force feed them day in and day out to keep them alive and drive them mad with hallucinogenics until they give him little hints about where the moon is going. And he keeps getting these people and forces them to stay alive for as long as possible so he could get these little snippets of insanity. And even some of the spells, like he will turn people into a living fungus and their body from the ground up will begin to metastasize and their bones will ossify and everything locks up and your nerves flare in agony as you slowly lose the ability to move until your circulatory system stops and you die. That's really dark.
1: (laughs) That's pretty dark. That's... That's... I'm sure there's some listeners out there who have body horror problems and just kind of went ah. Yes,
0: I know. And but like, if you look at the army, it looks like goofy Looney Tunes until you read the book. And it's like, <laughs> did it's <laughs> really <laughs> y'all? It's rough. And um, you know, Night Haunt, same thing. You look at the army, you're like oh, spooky ghosts. Like we all love. Sp- oh yeah, woo. we love spooky ghosts. Oh, hell yeah, Spirit Halloween, y'all. But like, you read the battle tome. And every one of those units are denoted by how they died. Every one of them is denoted by how they died. Uh, so chain rests are people who died in prison. They died enslaved. They died bound in chains. And some most of them were good people who believed that they persevered if they carried on and they wanted to uh, sort of live their life as well as they could they would go to the afterlife and they would be rewarded for what they're doing they would be rewarded with you know an eternal heaven of their own devising however Nagash being the petty asshole that he is took all of these people and made them spirits for his minions and his army and eternally binds them in chains so that they can never be free and then unleashes them upon the realms where they must take these chains that bound them in life and kill the living and death with them. Or the Herodans, which are kind of like these ghosts that have like scythe hands, knife hands. Every one of them in life was a healer. I love scythe. Like, they wanted to... <laughs> best pokemon best pokemon. pokemon i'm sorry <laughs> you, <John>. uh, they,
1: <laughs> who's that pokemon it's a Herodin.
0: <laughs> they uh they wanted to keep people alive they were medicine men and trained doctors and they helped their communities they healed the sick they brought people back from the brink of death they were good people And when they died, Nagash was mad at them for keeping people from dying, because every time they saved somebody, it kept a soul from coming to him. And as punishment, he takes these people whose only purpose in existence is to heal the sick, and removes their hands, and gives them blades, so that anyone they touch, they will kill. And then in then compels them through magic to murder and they can't stop themselves they're acidide monsters who slaughter everything in the realm they tear the living apart but somewhere deep deep down underneath all of the magic and compel it and compulsion they're still in there watching for an eternity as they murder and you look at the whole army and all of a sudden every one of these units i'm looking at them a little different every mm-hmm. one of them every one of these heroes yep. like it's incredibly dark <laughs> and again you, if you looked at it from the outside probably doesn't look that way but then you read the books and it is now i'm going to give a third example and this one's not going to work for everybody cuz looking at our like uh anchor analytics some of y'all listen to this podcast from different countries um so some of you guys probably aren't going to get this however we are americans being in kentucky and uh <laughs> i <laughs>
1: Go ahead, laugh at us. We're laughing at Uh, us, too. Yeah, I laugh. Um. (laughs) I laugh or cry.
0: Uh, And recently, I started playing Caradron Overlords, which are uh, like sky dwarves. And they look, again, super cool models, steam dwarves with guns and sky boats. Seems neat. And you start reading their lore, and uh, they have a very different type of dark. Jackie, if you're listening to this, hey-o. I was talking to our friend Jackie about this not too long ago. Um. They are a faction whose entire existence focuses around a single resource. There is a one resource that fuels their entire economy. It makes their cities float. It makes their boats fly. It makes their armors work. It makes their guns shoot. They all want the same resource. And if they ever don't have it, their entire society will collapse. It will stop functioning. And they, as a culture, will die. And because of that, their entire society is built around one principle and one principle only. Profit. You are to get as much of that resource as you can for your city. Whatever you have to do, you get it. As long as you don't outright kill other dwarves, I don't care what you have to do. You made contracts with other races of the realms? Whatever. If there are loopholes, screw them over. Give them nothing. Take everything. And if they won't give it to you, kill them for it. It's your resource. We need it. Hey! Like, if you go down to transport people, maybe those people are refugees fleeing from an imminent thing that's going to kill them. I bet if they're about to be murdered, they'll probably pay you everything in their pockets to go just a short distance. You could absolutely have them bent over a barrel in negotiations. That's the good way to do it. Put them on the ship. Oh, these people are starving and you have, like, crappy food? Oh, maybe it's kind of not good for them, but I bet they'll pay a premium. Ayo, oh, Profit! Uh they are a venture capitalist hellscape as a society. And being an American here in America, let me just tell y'all, it hits different. <laughs> it hits yeah, a little yeah. different.
1: Being working class folks in a pandemic in America, hearing that, I had like I, I disassociated slightly out the window, I'm looking at and going, Yeah. Yeah, that was just like last
0: october like (laughs) yeah i don't like i obviously not a political podcast but i will just say like it is weird to listen to a story on the radio about wealth inequality and uh profiteering in the middle of a global pandemic in the country that i live in and then to read the caradron book um y'all my brain melted out my ears it's huh. it's dark it's real dark and you know it's just another example of how these battle tomes Man, they go in, and that's great, you know. Yeah,
1: but like before we step away from this, I just want to say, if we're gonna have super venture capitalist like asshats, I would much rather have sky dwarves with airships and like really cool guns <laughs> than hedge fund managers.
0: <laughs> yeah, not one hedge fund manager has made magic guns yet. That's bullshit. You got billions. <laughs> what do
1: you do? Of... You have. What do you do with all that money? Get a yacht. Why have a why have a seaboat when you can have an airboat? You
0: have like <laughs> billions of dollars and you ain't made a magic Winchester yet. What are you doing? Jesus, you are irresponsible. <laughs> Useless to this world, I tell you. Um, but like, uh, <laughs> <God damn. laughs> these books are genuinely dark and as there are a number of battle tomes that do that. You know, they look kind of rainbow bright on the cover, but you start reading the lore and it gets really dark really quickly. And that's great. You know, even with the Stormcast, it does that. However, much like with 40k, where the individual novels are dark, these battle tome Dark does not really transfer to the setting as a whole really well. And here's what I mean by that. When you think about the setting of Age of Sigmar as a whole, across all the realms, there are many a story... About how there are cities across the realms with varied peoples and cultures that have found a way to make a living there. And that they seem to be doing all right. Especially with, you know, we got the Cities of Sigmar book, which shows a number of, like, thriving cities out there in the world. And they seem to be doing all right. But when you keep hearing that, and you keep getting new cities, and you keep seeing different cities on these maps and you keep hearing about some of the grander victories, you kind of start thinking, oh, I guess Order's kind of winning, huh? Like, seem to be doing all right against Chaos. The exception being, like, the realm of life, which has constantly been, like, under threat, but the rest of the realms, you kind of start to think, oh, must be doing pretty decent, I'd say. Um, And all of the darkness from those battle tomes just don't quite punch through to that overall setting. However... I'm hoping that's about to change. Um, at the time that we are recording this, it is uh, April, no, May 26th. I had to count that out, John. I had to count <laughs> that out. It is May 26th, 2021. And uh, as of right now, the third edition of Age of Sigmar is not out yet. We don't know what the box looks like. We don't know what's in it. We don't know exactly where the story's going. We don't even have Broken Realms' cra- uh, crack yet. However, uh, they've kind of, they've talked about what they're wanting to do with the setting. And they've sort of shown off some of the art, which got real, real cool looking really fast.
1: It's my background
0: on my computer. It's sick. Super sick. Um, And we've already read the events of Broken Realms, Bellicor. And with the setting, with what happens in Bellicor and what the designers are saying about 3rd, it seems like what they're doing is they are re-level setting the entire setting. They are looking at the factions of order and they are resetting just how screwed they are. They are showing you just how many threats they face. I mean, we, with this sort of chaos pouring across the realms and corrupting everything that they roll across, and these huge unstoppable clouds through the sky, even the stormcast Eternals. Aren't punching through the sort of poster boys for the setting laid low in an (laughs) instant? Stormcast Eternals
1: were like Stormcast temporary, (laughs) (laughs) Stormcast
0: (laughs) seasonal. Um, (laughs) like with this happening, it's also causing a lot of the smaller outposts and stuff to be overrun by chaos or destruction. Take your pick um and a
1: destruction would be way more
0: fun yeah yeah agreed um but with that people are being like pushed back to their walls that they're kind of holding on to with all of their might you know kind of banding together in this futile effort to hold the darkness back for just a few moments and i really hope that they come through with that i really hope that's successful and i really hope that here in a few months' time, when I look at the setting, I go, oh wow, like order is kind of screwed, aren't they? Like, I I don't know how they I don't know how them Duke boys are gonna get their way out of this one. Um how, how dare you
1: how dare you reference them in this the house of <laughs> lord. Benjamin Franklin didn't die on the cross for you to reference Dukes of Hazard in this Warhammer podcast. <laughs>
0: uh yeah i mean i really hope that that's the case i hope that we look at it and uh they really show the threat to the realm and just how much trouble every faction is in and um i think there's some hope here because when the necroquake happened one of the things they did in the battle tomes that added to how dark they were was they talked about how every faction fared during the necroquake and some just got obliterated some had awful times and they really were not set up to repel all these angry, spooky ghosts. And um, I would love to see that again with whatever's about to happen in Broken Realms, Kragnos. Um, I would love to see how every faction gets kind of shaken up and thrown on their head because of what happens in that book. And I, as a whole, that might up the general grim dark of the setting while also keeping the very grim dark of the battle tomes, which is like the best of all possible outcomes for me. Oh, yeah.
1: I'm really hoping that these chaos storms made by Bellicor are, like, essentially chaos hurricanes mm-hmm. that hit different places and become cataclysms of their own. That aren't led by, like, a character or, like, a thing of chaos. Like, it isn't, like, a war band. It's just sometimes your city will just be hit with, like, a hurricane made out of chaos spawn. How do you handle that? I hate it. Um <laughs> I hate it. And, and I think, like, the biggest differences between AOS and Warhammer Fantasy Battles is that AOS is higher fantasy. It is. It yeah. is way more magical. Um, we have multiple realms. We've got all sorts of wild-ass stuff going on. In Warhammer Fantasy Battles, it was one place. It was one realm. Like, the, yeah, there was Realms of Chaos, but, like, they came in and fought Kislev and the Empire. But it was all one realm and it was low fantasy you know like dudes with guns and swords like that was it like they're like yeah there's weird skeleton egyptian necromancers that's cool but like we got cannons there wasn't sky dwarves all of their dwarves still lived in the mountains there wasn't sea elves that eat people's souls the the sea elves just lived on an island um and they were all high elves And there was Dark Elves. And yeah, they had magic and stuff, but like it was still regimental, like armies fighting regimental armies, and like guns were as impressive as magic in a lot of ways. Magic was way more dangerous. Um wasn't thrown away. You didn't have gods fighting other gods on like (laughs) in the mortal realms, like you know, like you do in Age of Sigmar. So that difference is much larger. I think that that's why there's going to be a separate setting for the old world, is there is something to be said about that low fantasy flavor fantasy that is grim dark, and, you know, they don't have bathrooms. Like, that's, I feel like that's talked about a lot in Warhammer Fantasy books, and I read it all the time, but they're like, You wonder how disgusting all of existence is in Warhammer Fantasy. And do you even think about it in Warhammer Age of Sigmar?
0: Yeah, but like, here's my kind of thing. For Warhammer Fantasy battles, like, Ah, watch out! This goat man might stab you with a sword! And then you'll die on a battlefield! Okay, that definitely sucks. Like, I don't want that. But then in, in, in Age of Sigmar, watch out, this goblin may force feed you terrible hallucinogenics and then throw you in a cave and then turn you into a mushroom so you can never leave and then make you spook rantings for the rest of your existence as you slowly slip into madness before you die. Well, that second one is exponentially Whoa. worse. I'm taking the goat. Get me the goat. I... <laughs>
1: much, like a, like, much like 40k, Warhammer Fantasy did a really good job of individual novels and individual stories doing very well to, to explain how dark it was. Mm-hmm. I like, mean Go and Felix. Yeah. Like the Beastmen, right? The Beastmen were terrifying, not because they would just rampage and kill a bunch of your like people outside your village Or like Fight the Empire. It's that their very existence in a forest near your village would slowly drive all of your animals insane and make them start creating extra limbs and gaining sentience to where your cow kills you in the middle of the night. Or like the people in your town, if exposed to it for long enough, would start turning into beastmen. Or start, like the the moon would go over and all of a sudden like little Timmy is born on a full moon and then three years later he's got horns and he's killing people.
0: John, I hate to tell you, all of that still happens at Age of Sigmar. And in fact, yeah. there's a whole novel about it I just read called Loon Curse, where it talks about, like, uh, Spite attacking a city, but for the first half of the book, the Gloom Spite never show themselves. It is the moon overhead and just what happens as, and I... like, things go, as people go insane and spiders start to, like, appear and food rots and people have nightmares and, you know, fungus starts to grow on all the crops and, you know, blah, 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 um, and I think that's
1: what they took from Warhammer Fantasy for Age of Sigmar to make its dark flavor. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing. Um but overall it is there there is more hope to be had in Warhammer, Age of Sigmar. There's still that big H, right? The big H is still there in Age of Sigmar. It's very unlikely, but there is a future you can see where Sigmar does accomplish his goal. They have not ruled it out yet. I mean it just is very unlikely. Whereas in Warhammer Fantasy, you know that everyone's going to die. <laughs> like, you know it's going to end. They did. It's, But I think they learned a lesson from that in that when end times happened, it was not taken well. It was not written well. There was not a good conclusion. And I don't think there was really too much of a way to make it a good conclusion. I'm not saying that they did the best they could, but I don't think anyone would have been happy with it ending. And I think with Age of Sigmar, they purposely built in an aspect of... It's never going to end. Like, the setting never has an end. There, Like, Sigmar will continue trying no matter how hopeless it looks. And that does create a little bit of a big H, but it's still more of a little
0: Although H, I will so. say, the guy who is who the big H is pinched upon lost his hammer because Zeench played a mirror <laughs> trick. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Like... He yeah. went, Ma, be mad! And then threw it through a portal into Chaos Realm. Like, and then yeah. left it! <laughs> like, that's the guy the Big H is on. I don't think there's yeah. much Big H going on. He is not Triple H, we'll put it that way. Um, yeah, not H. <laughs> he's not He's well, not bringing like anybody the, off the turnbuckle and absolutely pal-driving Archeon into nothing.
1: Us as the readers can recognize that Sigmar's gonna be his own worst enemy if it's not him it's marathi if it's not him it's how Tyrion is full of himself like i'm sorry teclas teclas uh, well, is full
0: your of himself. first statement was also probably correct but teclas is yeah, even yeah i mean it's true he
1: did he did make the the island of deepkin uh and then abandon them um poor sea elves. and i think us as readers can see that and go okay yeah it, That makes sense. But those characters are still gods and those characters are still powerful. And if they ever did get over their own shit and go to therapy, they'd probably be able to do something like give Nagash a swirly and like get rid of him for good. But because they can't get over themselves, they do dumb stuff.
0: I mean, to be fair, (laughs) Nagash took all the healers and turned them into knife hand ghosts. So like there are no therapists in the realms. Big H gone. It's true. Checkmate.
1: It's true. You know, Age of Sigmar is never going to be able to go anywhere because they ain't got no therapy. <laughs> no,
0: nope. all uh. the therapists is angry <laughs> ghosts. This is Thirteen Ghosts the movie in the Mortal Realms. Can't win.
1: Yeah. Um, God. Now I want to watch Thirteen in, Ghosts. God damn it. And <laughs> in, in response to also Fa- Warhammer Fantasy Battles, I think that Nagash and Warhammer Fantasy. Was an interesting character. I think Nagash in Age of Sigmar. Is a terrifying character. Is,
0: what a um, bastard. He is
1: way worse. He is. In a lot of ways. I prefer. That death. Is such a force. In Age of Sigmar. That matches chaos. And chaos isn't the only villain. Like I. <laughs> chaos being a villain. And a force of nature. That is horrifying. And will always be horrifying. Because of it, it's a mirror. To humanity. Is. Bad. And awesome but death brings something else to the table that is just oh it's so good it's not just because aesthetically like everybody loves gothic vampires and and undead and everybody has have seen nightmare before christmas everybody loves van helsing but it's the way in which nagash uses the undead against the forces of order it's horrifying. And then when you throw into the mix that order is trying to fend off these two threats, there is the rugby players in destruction that are just like, we just want to break everything. <laughs>
0: it's not that I want to be in charge. I just don't want you to be in charge.
1: Yeah, like I just don't want anyone to be in charge. I just want to <laughs> fight. I like, let's just fight. Uh I feel like they're all of the orcs are just in and are just perpetually in a mosh pit. And they're like, everyone else is like, this is. Could you stop? This is a. Um, oh God, I'm trying to think of a really popular indie band. I don't know. Like this, Sir, is, this a, is
0: a Neutral Milk Hotel concert. Can you quit it? Yes. There we go.
1: It's a Neutral Milk Hotel concert. You can't be doing this. And he's just going, Yeah, I love corn and I hate my stepdad. <laughs>
0: Uh, to be fair, that is why the orcs actually did well in the Age of Chaos. Uh, like all of the all of the humans and like living races were like pushed to the brink of extinction, and everyone suffered terrible, terrible losses, losing like ninety nine percent of their population count. And the orcs exploded because Korn came into the realm. Like I want to kill, and the orcs went. Hell yeah, brother! And, like, (laughs) started fighting them! (laughs) loved it!
1: Boogie or die! Boogie or die! (laughs) Uh,
0: They, again, they're goofy and terrifying. Um, And I just, I don't know. I think it is a different type of grimdark than Warhammer Fantasy Battles. Um, But I don't think it is necessarily less grimdark. However, I get how our opinions might be a little controversial. So, as we said at the beginning of the episode, uh, we would love to hear y'all's opinions about it. There are no wrong answers here. We're talking about little plastic duders. Ain't no right answers. We're not doing math. We say so at the top of the episode. uh, We aren't qualified to talk about it. Um, So, in this instance, we really want to invite y'all. Reach out to us and let us know what you're thinking. You can put it in the YouTube comments. You can get at us on social media, on the tweeters, on the Instagram. Uh, Reach out to us more than happy to talk about it we'd love to hear how you guys feel because i just i don't know i find that this is a subject i like talking about but it's hard to find people to talk about it with who aren't you know shipbirds to you know not sugarcoat things but i think yeah, yeah. for the viewership that we kind of garner the shipbird percentage is hopefully much 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 lower um so we've love to talk about it even if you differ from us i'd like to hear why and uh, help maybe you'll change our minds somehow um and as john has kind of got reminded me uh for people out there listening to the podcast uh, if you're especially if you're on sort of apple itunes a review is very helpful we're a tiny tiny podcast and those reviews go a long way Uh, whatever you feel is honest, please rate us that and not ask it for five stars. You know, unless you feel it's worth it, don't dare give it to us. Um, and for YouTube folks, like, comment, it helps. Or at this level, what really helps is just showing it to your friends. Um, I'm sure people out there got buds who are also into the hobby. And if you think this, you know, podcast might be something that's up their alley, I'd really appreciate it if you sent one of the episodes to them. Um, just those little... Sort of organic growths help us go a long way to try to keep gathering steam and spreading the topics to more folks. Because uh I and do think with this topic and many others, sometimes the community gets just a little too heated. And we'd like to help bring it down a couple pigs.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we've we talked about Dukes of Hazard in this episode. So I don't necessarily think that this is a like um, creative writing class level uh, discussion on the concept
0: of Grimdark. Uh <laughs>
1: Are you saying the
0: Dukes are not college material John
1: uh, uh I
0: think a lot of things about the dukes um <laughs> you all you better tread carefully, John. you better tread carefully uh, <laughs> no uh also,
1: if you liked this content and you liked this uh this kind of thing where we kind of talk about the setting as a whole. And you would like us to delve more into, like, maybe specifically Age of Sigmar, specifically, like, the individual realms or stuff, or maybe touch on older lore that, and compare it to new lore and why it matters or why it doesn't matter, anything. Uh, 40k, Age of Sigmar, any of that. Let us know what you'd like to see from this kind of stuff, if you want to see more lore-specific things. What about the lore you'd like. Um, We're open to new ideas. We're always looking to add stuff to our topic list. We're always wanting to expand, like... What we're researching about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we show.
0: love fewer requests and uh, we take them anytime we get them. So don't feel like, you know, your idea might be dumb or not good enough. Not possible. We come up with our own ideas, so yours are definitely better than ours. Shoot them out! Yeah,
1: us. don't worry. We're dumb enough for anything.
0: Uh, <laughs> Shoot them our way.
1: Uh, <laughs> we are two dumb boys talking about dumb plastic Barbies. Our war <laughs> like, Barbies. War Barbies. God gotcha, They're on, action uh, figures. <laughs> In front of microphones. (laughs) Uh,
0: In Um, rooms by ourselves. Yeah. But (laughs) for now, that's been all of our opinions. Bonafide Kentucky Fried. We'll see y'all next time.